Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, today we're going to talk a little about French passion. Ooh, you know, we should interview Maurice Chevalier. Well, okay, first, I don't think he's still alive. Oh, man, he, come on, he's eternal. Well, this is not about love. Uh, it's a different kind of passion. Okay. This is about French winemakers, specifically militant French winemakers. Oh, those guys. Mm-hmm. They're kind of tougher than they sound, Yeah, actually. okay, yeah. yeah. Unlike us. Um, <laughs> we're even wimpier than we sound, actually, but we're going to answer a question about those hard-as-nails French winemakers. We have listener questions about wines on sale and what part of your palate is the mid, <laughs> and our horrible wine writing is particularly chewy today. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's get back to those tough French winemakers. We got a question from Terrence Clark in Chicago. You know, we are starting to get a listenership in Chicago. Yes, we are. We've mangled our friend, and I can't remember, is Anthony or... or, I think it was Anthony, right? Yeah. It's Anthony or Andrew, but I think it was Anthony, and I used to call him Andrew. And and if you're out there either ways, I still can't... I'm terrible. And this is Terrence. Hi, Terrence. Um, (laughs) He said, I've seen some news stories about militant French winemakers attacking trucks, and and that's in quotes, but that's with the headlines, attacking trucks and threatening the Tour de France. And what is that all about? Are they ticked that someone is making the wrong kind of Cabernet, or is it something else? Well, it's it's protecting what they see as their national industry. But, you know, one of the photos I love all time of the Tour de France is the picture of the guys riding along in the Tour de France, and they are drinking wine while they're riding in the Tour de France. I think they changed those rules. They, they, yeah, that was that used to be the rest stop. But is that was, not cool? Is that not... Yes. I mean, that... Now, that's an athletic uh, competition the, that would be fun. There are stories of riders stopping at cafes. You know, we're talking in the 20s and 30s. Yep, you know, grabbing but, a shot and yep, going right yep, back out no, on the road. That's the way to do it, I think. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely the way to do that. So the problem is that it, it French, frankly, France, many parts of France, um, are fairly far north for growing wine, and they have difficulty getting a lot of grapes ripe. So they have to reduce yields to get the grapes ripe. So the grapes will get ripe on their vine. Not quite so true in Spain. So in many places in Spain, it is less expensive to make wine because the vines can simply produce more. It's warmer. It's, they grow easier. Just think about your own garden and the hot spots. Right? So then when it turns out that the big supermarkets in France are looking for wine to fill their shelves, the French winemakers are furious to see these big trucks coming across the border from Spain full of Spanish wine. Meanwhile, their French wine is not sold. Yeah, and uh, that that truck incident, by the way, was um, there was it was about 150 winemakers. They were out on the road. Oh yeah, they they roughly, completely blocked the road. Roughly 10 miles from the Spanish border, they yep, went they the went Pyrenees. to a toll barrier where they had to stop. Right, and they drained 70,000 liters, or nearly. 95,000 bottles worth of wine right? Um, just emptied it onto the road. Right. Which tells you a couple things. First off, the transportation department is going to need some wine away. <laughs> um, but it also— well, Was it red wine or white wine? Well, it was red, actually, because I saw the pictures. Yeah, it was yeah, red. And it was red. It was so red. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and there was—and you pointed this out to me in oh, the story. That. Why don't this you read that line, This story <laughs> was just great because remember at the remember the last scene in— um, Round up the usual suspects. In, in Casablanca, Casablanca right? Round up the usual suspects. The fl- French police at the end of this event—where clearly it's at a toll plaza. There must be— There's pictures of these there's, guys. There's 
cameras <laughs> everywhere. And the French police said they had been no immediate arrests, but the incidents were being investigated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and there was uh, that's so clearly the French were not going to be messing with the winemakers. They're not going to they they're basically probably on the winemaker side. You know, but there's another piece to this, too. You were talking about them fighting the sort of the bulk imports, but it's also the regulation and regulation issue. Because in France, these guys can only grow grapes a certain way to label it a certain way. I mean, that's what happens when you're well, part of regions. Well, in the EU, regions. all the regul I mean, the EU regulations are standardized across the entire European Union. So it's not as if the French are growing uh, under different conditions. Now, if they happen to be in a certain region, they can only grow the varieties that are allowed in that region. And, and in a different region, you you could grow different varieties if they were permitted in the other region. But the actual winemaking is regulated by the European Union, and it is standardized across the whole European Union. Right. And what was sort of interesting about this one, without getting too much into the weeds, was this was wine coming in giant trucks. It was bulk. It was going to be blended with some some French some wine, French too. Wine. And it was going to get labeled as French wine. Well, it was going to get or, labeled as bottled in France. Bottled in France, right. Right. And so th their complaint was it doesn't say that they, they right. were violated. They actually said they were violating the EU. It reminds me a little bit. I once bought a, a carton of ice cream years ago, and I looked at the carton because the name was very French. It was a very sexy French package and everything. I thought, this is really great. I wonder if this really is from France. It'd be pretty expensive to ship ice cream from France. And I read, and the package said very, very carefully on it, package printed in France. That's funny. So they the printed package the package was printed. <laughs> in France, shipped it over well, here, filled it with American ice cream. And... Well, the ha cows were happier here. <laughs> yeah, so, Well, what do French cows say? Ours say moo. What do they say? What do they say? Uh, Me. Yeah. <laughs> Me. That's, that's probably it. So the other thing they asked about, and that's also a funny story. It's an interesting, weird story, too, is about this Tour de France. Because there's a, a Chilean sponsor of the tour in the coming year, right. this year. Um, it's the wine from Chile called uh, it, uh, I'm Bicicleta. Gonna, yeah, yeah. I was letting you, you're going to let you say it. Um, so, it's got a picture of a bike on there. So yeah. French law actually prohibits alcohol from sponsoring sporting events. That's right. So French winemakers or French wine can't sponsor the tour inside of France. Isn't it but ironic? But they use it on outside of France and other, where the tour goes to other places. Isn't it ironic that it's illegal for wine to sponsor something in France and you can do it in Chile? Yeah. You'd think those militant French winemakers would take a stand on that one, too. Wouldn't they convince the government that, that it's okay to have a French wine be the sponsor of the Tour de France? You, you would think, but uh, no, alcohol and sports don't mix. Tell oh. that to all the beer-drinking guys in the parking lot before a football or basketball game. Tell it to Chile. Yeah, or to Chile, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's what they're protesting about. And But, you know, what I kind of like is, like, the image—you can't imagine American winemakers— you know, a hundred of them out on the road hijacking trucks, you know, <laughs> or maybe psalms, like lying in the road because there's too much Chardonnay that they don't like. <laughs> well, I, I kind of like this idea that you've got you've got a, a sponsor of the Tour de France, and I can imagine the French writers in the Tour de France tasting the Chilean wine and saying, but this is not French. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the Americans <laughs> are just chugging it. That's what it is. All right. Well, it's been a while since a Frenchman won the Tour de France, so maybe too. that's the problem. I'm, I, I could make a drug joke, but I won't. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of performance enhancing, that's what we need here. So we're going to go to some questions. Oh, good. We need all the help so, we can get. And by the way, thanks for listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. Uh, if you'd like to ask us a question, you can go to our website, rickandpaulwine.com. 
That's all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. If you're on the website, you can find the spot. And you can also subscribe to us on iTunes and a few other spots. And you just mm-hmm. click and subscribe from free. So this one, my first one is actually a friend of mine from Oakland, uh-huh. Cherry. You have friends? She is very charitable. I see. Okay. Cherry with an I. And she says, what's a mid-palate? I always ah. hear wine geeks say that. Is that something on our tongue, or do they mean in the middle of the tasting? And then wouldn't it be mid-taste? Yeah, well, she's right. She's right. She's right, yeah. yeah. And basically, when you taste wine, a lot of times they teach you after you look at it, after you smell it and all the rest, you put it in your mouth, and you basically have the immediate flavor, which is either called the front or the attack. Yeah. And then you have the mid-palate in the middle, which is sort of the middle. And then you have the end, which is called the Let me guess, finish. the finish. That's right. right. So she's absolutely right. The, it does lead to one of my all-time favorite descriptors of a wine that's lacking a little something, though, Rick, because when you have a wine that has big aromas and you put it in your mouth and it big burst of flavor, and then it just seems like it kind of falls apart in the middle, kind of kind of lacking something. Um, a lot of psalms, a lot of winemakers call that a donut wine because it feels like there's a hole in the middle of the tasting process. See, I thought it because it had sugar and grease. You thought it was because it ma- matched well with traditional yes, the, glazed uh, the donuts. the old-fashioned glazed donut wine. That's, <laughs> that's what, right. That's what and I actually, mean. it's a very convenient bottle because you can just put the donuts right over the top of the bottle, and you can carry four or five donuts that way with your donut wine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, that's uh, actually not got, a bad you've, way. You've, you've, you've seen me in you've action. You've got brunch. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and, and by the <laughs> way, Jerry, I mean, you make you make a really good point, and it is this sense where we, you know, we, so many wine writers so often, and other people too, just get into the jargon and forget what they're saying. But right. what, as Paul explained it, I mean, I do think that that's a nice way to talk about wine because, you know, they— we don't often get this with with good with tasting notes. Tasting notes is a bunch of flavors. We make fun of these all the time. We will again, um, but uh, <laughs> even today, yes, even today. In fact, in a few minutes. <laughs> but but I think if you talk about when we think about how we talk about food, how was your meal? Well, you know, and you sort of talk about the story of it. The skin was crispy. The chicken was juicy, and right. you know, and it was just a little bit spicy. That's sort of the the right. the travel of that of Did, that. Would food. you say the trout had a minerality to their flavor? <laughs> Well, only well, yeah, when he, if he was swimming in a lead pond, he had a minerality to it. Yes. Mm. So, so this notion of the the journey that the wine takes as you taste it is actually yeah. a really good way to say it. But yeah. then you start throwing in things like mid palate, and, yeah. and I I do remember the first time I heard that phrase, I did think that we we're talking about the middle of your the, tongue. The middle of your tongue. So, yeah. uh, Jerry, well, I was with you. And there are, if by the way, this is really complicated science. There are food technologists in America today who are creating foods, sometimes candies, sometimes snack foods and other things, and they literally study how the different flavors develop on your palate so that you can put something in your mouth and it starts tasting like potato and it finishes up tasting like lime and it makes some changes in the middle. All of that's this technology stuff, and it's the same thing, that once you put something in your mouth, it doesn't just taste, it develops in your mouth as your saliva and your mouth will swirl it around and taste more. As it explodes and yeah. mixes with the wine in my mouth, often the case. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, the next one is from Justin in Elk Grove. Mm-hmm. The supermarket name removed so we don't get sued near me has a shelf that looks like great buys. Okay. They're mostly wines that I know are usually more expensive. I was in big wine store name removed for the very same reason. Um, they had a bin with a bunch of wines that looked expensive but were marked down. Yep. Are those just on sale or is there something I don't know about them? 
Yeah, well, there is something about them. Well, <laughs> look at the look at the vintage. Well, two uh, two possibilities here. Two possibilities. One of them is that I mean, first of all, the reason those wines are marked down is because that store can't sell them. Yes. Right? I mean, there's a reason they're marked down. It ain't because they're feeling particularly generous today. Now, well, Justin, that's because they want you to be happy, so they're, they they just set that up for you. Just for you, Justin. Yes. That's right. But the question is, are they bad wines? Just because they're reduced, are they bad wines? Or better put, is the reason they can't sell those wines because the wines are going bad? Now, in some cases, it may be, to Rick's point, vintage. You know, if you see the Chardonnay on the shelf and it turns out to be a 2006, chances are they should have sold that wine 10 years ago. And sorry, Charlie, but that's not going to be any good. But sometimes they'll do the same thing with some fairly big, powerful red wines that age perfectly well. They're just not moving. Yeah, and, and they've gotten, they may have gotten some newer, the newer vintage. It is need possible to, it. Yeah. to find some bargains in there, but you kind of have to know what to look for and how to how to poke around and find what's good. But very clearly the thing to do is with any of the whites you might buy in those bins or on that shelf is is to look at the vintage. And we basically say, you know, with, with white wines, there are always, of course, exceptions to this, but most of the whites that we drink and most of the whites that we drink are sort of the middle of the road or the middle of the price range. Or whites the middle that we of buy, the palate. Middle of the palate <laughs> range um, that we buy in supermarkets. They tend to have, you know, a couple of years on them, and that's about it. That's about it. Yeah. yeah two, Anything more than two or three years old, and if the price hasn't been reduced significantly, you shop at a different store because those wines are not aging So if well. you go to that, say, big wine store name removed that we're not going to use, um, they probably will have somebody that could maybe explain those wines to you. Uh, at the supermarket, right. it might be a little less likely. On the other hand, the big wine store might also have someone who could explain it to you because they get they, paid by get the number of, of bottles yeah. they sell, and yeah. they really want you to get those bottles out of the store. That's true. So then you ask for a, a larger discount. That's what you do. <laughs> so, okay. All right. That's it for questions for now. We will have more later on in the show. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Yes, it means it is time for a horrible wine writing as soon as I stop dancing on the ceiling. It is our really horrible wine writing time. And, Paul, what you bring in? I got one that I love. Full body, chewy and polished tannins in a long, flavorful finish, a beautifully linear and polished red. Well, so that would be a that would I would buy this wine because because it's red. It's red. See, and there's one it's thing flavorful. they've communicated there that's really important. It is red. Right. Um, the idea of polished and chewy tannins both that seems to be frankly just a little bit contradictory. Yeah, we should talk about that for a second too. But but, but and then the linear. What does that mean? I think that I, I can only imagine it comes in a very long, skinny bottle. Or unless they maybe what they do is you pour it out along a, 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 a like a yardstick. I see. So you have a long, th- and then you use a straw to suck it up. <laughs> not with your nose, by the way. That's not my image. I was just that sounds I, like I could a see, I knew that you were going. Sounds like for, a different yeah. kind of I know consumption your mind over there, goes, Paul. Yeah. But I also this. So this is this thing we get. We we talk about this all the time about this notion of like to trying to describe what tannins are, and there's so many goofy words for them. Polished. But These are po- polished. But polished generally implies that the tannins are smooth. Chewy generally implies that the tannins are rough. Are not so smooth. So what this person said yeah. was it has a rough and smooth tannins. And then the other part of it is that what do they use? A total of 15 words here, and yeah. two of them are polished. 
Yeah. So yeah. you can't even go to the thesaurus and come up with something and other than, of course, maybe maybe one polished. of them is supposed to be capitalized and it would be Polish tannins. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Polish tannins are way different. Polish yes. tannins. Yeah, yes. I think that could be it. Right. it okay, was, so what do you Fundamentally, have? that was gibberish is what that was. <laughs> yeah, it sure <laughs> right. was. Mine is, it opens with alluring aromas of fragrant blue, flower, blue flowers, berries, chewy spices, and exotic herbs, while a firm palate <laughs> delivers aged cherries, crushed raspberries, luscious zest, and a sprinkling of white pepper. It's tightly woven and will drink well through 2028. Wow. Um, what do blue flowers smell like, Rick? I don't know. Blue. They smell like blue. Blue. Yeah. Like uh-huh. sky. They smell like sky. sky. Okay. Or and maybe, then um, chewy spices. Chewy spices. Which yeah. are those? Are I those, think those are, are, those are is this, that the cinnamon gum? I, th- I, th- I say those are the, yeah, it could be. Or, the, you know, the, they're still in seed form and you have to crunch them. <laughs> and exotic <laughs> herbs, which could be what? Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. Could be ashayote from from yes. the Mayan uh, yes. region. Yes. It could, yeah. Or not. Uh, or not. <laughs> um, and and. and Aged cherries. I like aged cherries. Yeah, because you know you don't want fresh cherries in your wine. That no. would make it taste oh, like. And what are the, what is an aged an aged? And, and the other part I like is that it delivers crushed raspberry. Right, because the raspberry it ta- which tastes entirely different from the regular well, raspberry. Well, because a whole raspberry has no flavor at all until you crush it. Oh, of if course. you put a whole raspberry in your mouth and you just let it sit there. Nothing happens. Raspberry seems to be a flavor description that 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 drives bad, people crazy. What bad wine writers mess with it. Remember, we yes. had this one description not so long ago about yellow raspberries. Yellow raspberries, but raspberries all taste the same. The yes. difference is in texture. Yes. So that it's how they ship. But yes. yellow tastes like red. Tastes like. You know. I like I like in this one too. Luscious zest. I know. I know. So first luscious off, lemon zest. So Probably that, not. Well, what kind of zest? But zest would then imply something sort of bright. Isn't, so how you know what? Isn't there, a, isn't there an old soap called Zest? Wasn't there? A, maybe that's. I it. think he means it tastes like. M- maybe soap. that person forgot to capitalize. Capitalize it. the Z. Yeah. We've got to capitalize P for Polish. Capitalize Z for Zest. Yeah, I like it. I think that would fix it. It's and and yet with all of that alluring aromas and everything, it's still tightly woven and will drink well through uh, for the next. What is this? Uh, Twelve next, years. Twelve years. Twelve years. Yeah. Great. Good to know. Good to know. Well, I'm certainly buying that. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> guess the guess the wine. Uh, let's see: blue flowers, berries, spices, raspberries, zest, white pepper, uh, Rhone. Not bad, not bad. It was actually a Zin. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I thought it could be Zin, yeah. but but the the yeah. But you know, once again, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't evoke like. We, you know, this is one of our criticisms of, of these well, kinds of horrible for, writings is, is you don't know what the heck kind of wine you might actually drink. Because, in fact, most Zinfandel is rather linear, and this does not say that it's linear. So. <laughs> That's right. And, but, but not polished. So, but, but it could or be Polish. Yeah, but it, is, it does have flavorful finish. You know, if it's made from <laughs> berries, it could be Polish. <laughs> yes, made from berries. I'm waiting for that one. This wine tastes like it was made from berries or grapes. Okay. All right, we're going to take a few more questions since we're muddling around on this long enough. If you'd like to ask us a question, and once again, and you're not on our website, you can go to rickandpaulwine.com. That is just one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And you can also find us on iTunes. All right, this one is from Ashley Larson in Reno. The biggest little city in the world. I was just talking to somebody who uh, has been living in Reno for 20 years, and she, she said what lots of people say, which is, I never thought I'd be there for 20 years. I really like it. Cool. Yeah, so Reno, I've cool. been visited huh? a couple times recently, and I kind of like it, too. Cool. 
When I need to get wine cold fast, I just stick in the freezer for a few minutes. This is Ashley. Oh, my again. God. Is that okay? Oh, my God. <laughs> and I accidentally left a bottle of Chardonnay there overnight, and it seemed to be all right after it thought out. Did I do something to it? And is the freezer okay if I don't forget the bottle? Okay, so last night I walked into the kitchen and my wife was cooking dinner and I said, what do you want to drink? And she said, oh, I don't know, something white. And I walked into the cellar and grabbed a bottle of white wine. I said, when are we going to eat? And she said, in about 10 minutes. And I put the wine in the freezer and 10 minutes later, it still wasn't quite cold enough. But Ashley, girl, you're doing exactly what you ought to be doing. Yeah. You know, one other trick actually to get wine cold really fast, although freezer is a really good one, is if you're, especially if you're outside or you have the capacity, is a a bucket of ice with water in it. Mm -hmm. And it's actually actually colder. Yeah. It's actually colder than just the ice. Now, I will put a caveat on all of this, which is... Is that, a, is that a lid so that yes, you spill? A, well, you need a lid in this next situation <laughs> because freezing white wine, sometimes if your freezer is cold enough, it will freeze the water but not the alcohol in the wine, which actually college students know as a great way to make an imitation distilled That's product. That's right. Is you buy wine, <laughs> freeze it really Ooh, cold. I'm liking it. Strain out the ice, and you've got something that's about 30 or 40% alcohol. Which is kind of how it's – a, it's a very weird version of how ice wine works, right? Because you're taking the water sort out of, of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, the dangerous part is when you try this with sparkling wine. Oh, do not do this with sparkling wine. Because sparkling wine, when you freeze the wine, it releases all of the gas that's in suspension in the liquid, and it basically forms a small hand grenade in your freezer, and it will explode. Yeah, and and I, I as somebody who has chilled that sparkling wine in the freezer uh, for, uh, you know, because it needs to get cold, I set like two timers. <laughs> just because yeah. you know, just to be sure, and I yeah, go yeah. and then I do them very quickly. But, yeah. um, but, but fundamentally, Ashley, that's it's a good move. It's a good move, and even in and that that Chardonnay leaving it there and then having it thaw out. And I will tell you that one of my <laughs> friends, Ron Wiegand, who is one of the few people in the world who is both a master of wine and a master sommelier, says if you once you've opened the bottle, if you want to protect that wine. As, as effectively as possible, he swears by the technique of putting that half-consumed bottle in the freezer, and he says that does a better job of, of, of preserving it than anything else. Rick never has this problem. I was so going to say, you used a phrase I didn't even recognize. Half-consumed half bottle? Half that's, consumed. It, that's, that's before the salad, right? That's right. Okay. All right. That's right. It's before the second glass. All right. And we have, we have time for one more. Okay. This is from Jamie in Thousand Oaks. Oh, it's interesting because this sort of dovetails to uh, an idiot sommelier we talked about. Uh, That's right. I think it might have been last week, which is what's a flawed wine or is it a wine flaw? <laughs> is it just spoiled or something else? My Psalm wannabe friend keeps talking about flawed wines. Excellent. Well, the thing to do now is take that friend to do an intervention. <laughs> yes. Get that friend some help soon. Basically, when you make wine, you have to protect it from a number of things. You don't want it to get oxidized, so you keep it away from air. You don't want it to get sunburned, light struck, so you keep it away from light. You don't want it to get polluted by a bad cork or something like that. Which all, has a, can have a bacteria in it. Uh, all of those are basically something that the winemaker, if he went to a good winemaking school, doesn't want to happen in the wine. And those are wine flaws. And so there are those flaws that when you smell a wine, you can say, oops, this had a bad cork. 
oops, the, 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 the acetobacteria that eats alcohol and turns it into vinegar got a little excited right. here, and we now have salad dressing. Oops, this is supposed to be a red wine and it's brown. Those are all flaws and thus flawed wines. But in the Which is why you, we taste a wine at the beginning of a meal at a restaurant is to make That's sure right. that there's nothing like that going on. It's not right. if it's, you know, not for other now, reasons. Now, the sommelier friend is being trained to try to detect these in microscopic amounts, and it is only part of his descent into pure and unadulterated hell. <laughs> yes. Speaking of which, by the way, um, <laughs> your friend and mine, uh, Tim Geiser, I took a class from him years ago at the Culinary Institute of America yeah. in, in Napa, St. Helena. Yeah. And we were going through this, and that's what, you know, what you do when you train for this stuff is you, you learn to identify them. And, you know, for somebody in the business, you, it's, it's good to know because you know what's wrong with the wine. So we, what he did was he has these really hype, uh, hyper versions of something. Aren't they good to taste? Yeah, no, just, we well, just smell them is all it was. Oh, okay. So you, you smell this yeah, glass yeah. with the stuff really. And the way he had it was it passed around, and then there was one person at the end whose job it was, me, to hold the garbage bag. <laughs> so first we'd smell one flaw, and then everybody would dump it in, and then yeah. they smell that. So the, and every time I had to open it, Rick, it is somehow fitting that you were the guy holding the bag. I think Tim was mad at me, is what it was. <laughs> but you, um, it's uh, yes. So the, that that was one one of the low moments in in my wine education. And, and he was cool. chuckling the whole time. If I remember. <laughs> I'm sure he was. All right, that's it for another round of bottle talk with Rick and Paul. We have shown you just a few of our flaws. Our producer, as always, is Matt Pacini. Thank you, Matt. Thank you to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. And if you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. If you learned anything today, we hope it's don't mess with French winemakers. I'm Rick Cushman. Je suis Paul Wagner. <laughs> and remember, the best <laughs> wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Mm-hmm.